Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, joined by co-host Austin Zamhariri. This week, our guest is AJ Channer. He is the vocalist from Fire from the Gods, and we are glad to have him here to spend some time with us. How you doing, AJ? I'm good, guys. How you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you. So I'm doing pretty good. I'm liking this this colder weather now. Oh yeah. I'm glad it's not snowing. Not yet. <laughs> Say not yet. Yeah, right. You're Get from February. You're from up in New York, in correct? Yeah, I am. So that's another reason why I'm good. I'm glad it's not snowing. I spent some time up near north, a little bit north of Albany, and that was a that was a unique experience yeah. for a Texan to see that much snow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like lake effect snow. That's down there, Canada. So you're getting that you're getting that crazy snow, man. I'm good. I am all good on all that. How's your week been? Not bad. I mean, it's just starting, right? Um, uh, not too exciting, but some news about, you know, on the fire from the gods front, we're going to be, I'm leaving 3rd January to go into the studio. So that's exciting because there was a lot of back and forth on whether or not, or when we were going to get into the studio, we've had this kind of soft, uh, this soft start date of sometime in January, but it was never really confirmed, but um, we've thus had it confirmed. And so it's time to get to work on our third LP. So it's exciting. It's very exciting. That's good to hear. Let's at least, you know, you have a solid time frame of when you're going to start. I guess that kind of yeah. gives you an idea of when you're going to finish as well. Uh, yeah, but we have about a month. So, you know, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of back and forth on some of the new demos and, you know, there's been some, there's a lot of yays and nays and some thumbs up, but you know, a lot of thumbs down. So it's been a typical record. Well, it's, this is not too typical for us because we tip for the first two records, we've gone into the studio and it's been like, Oh, we love everything that's coming out. Let's go ahead and let's get this thing done. But now, which is understandable, there are, you know, some, some notes and some final points of how to really get this thing done. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that we're just in a, we're just in a different place uh, of where we were say back in 2016 when narrative came out, I think we're, um, we're in a place where there's a lot more competition and there's a lot more, there's a lot of need for something a bit more unique and a bit more something to help us stand out as a band. So I, I get the, the speculation, but I've got a month to go and crack this, to crack this, uh, this code. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to the challenge. Like how you state that it's a challenge that you're trying to, trying to reach out to an audience, not just to entertain, but to send a message. Yes, very much so. And you want to sound the best it can. There you go. And get the best, uh, the best out of my ability. You know, I don't, I'm not like the typical kind of rock singers out there. The, the ones that are more or less, I guess, not so much in my peer group because I don't want to overstate my importance for rock music, but the bands that I do have to sort of compete with are now a lot larger than what we were working with before. And there's a lot more demand and a lot more expectations. But that also that always happens when you kind of move into the upper echelons or you move on to a certain point in your career. You have to deliver something that, you know, the the term and the words that are being thrown out are 
we need a career defining moment for this band and a career defining moment is going to come from uh career defining songs and uh it's important that we that we get that and we're, we're looking to do that with this record i always felt that when doing a piece of work because i've done audio shows and radio shows and did stuff at university doing the same thing for creating production elements and it seems to be that when you're not trying for that magnum opus is when it happens when you're just letting yeah. it all out on your own and you're not yeah. worried about that yeah yeah exactly i mean i'd love for the environment and to have and and that's kind of the environment that everyone wants to create right but the thing is because there's so much competition in rock music these days because there, there just aren't that many outlets for rock music right so it kind of makes oh, no. the world a little bit smaller for you so the competition goes up because you know everyone's fighting for that that little bit of space and daylight that there is uh that there are available especially to bands of outside because this there's still so many people discovering fire from the gods and discovering what we're about and discovering what uh you know what our sound is and we ourselves you know have evolved quite a bit since our first record so you know the, the one of the things you know that uh our our like team have said is that every time you guys put something out i think you get closer and closer to what the overall sound is of the band and, and what you're really looking to achieve from a music and a sonic step sonic um standpoint so there's a lot of uh you know it'd be good to just say man i'd, I'd love to just let it fly and and go in there and do my thing but um there's also this thought in the back of my head that i really want I want this these songs to be memorable, to to have lasting lasting uh, appeal, and to be timeless. Which I think, to a certain degree, we've achieved, but we just haven't done it on a grander scale. So it's definitely time to kind of like take this thing by by the scruff of the neck and like kind of grab it, you know, and take this world, take them by the by the throat, and really, you know, give them something that they can't deny. So there's, there's a lot of thought, and a lot of those kind of thoughts going through my head whilst also trying to just be like man it's rock and roll just let it just let it rock and, and we'll see what, what comes about i wanted to pivot from that that room something i thought of today was i wanted to ask you about was where your influences for singing or coming up with messages and your style comes from because we we talk about having a message and you want it to be memorable and to me right. like with the type of message you talk about in some of your albums like please brutality there's iced tea songs that are just they're still relevant today. They were made 20, 25 years ago sure. and they still ring true today. Almost every word of them. And I wonder where, like, right. where your inspirations come from for your style. Well, well, you know, first and foremost, the environment that um, I've been exposed to and that environment has shifted uh, drastically throughout my life. I mean, I was born in New York city. Uh, my, my, fa my folks are Jamaican. Half of my family is, is American. Then I've got uh, the time that I spent in the UK, time that I spent in Ghana, West Africa, time that I spent in Virginia, time that I've wow. spent here in Texas. But, you know, mainly what shaped me are the, the things that I saw from a young age, which were, you know, the disadvantages uh, in the, the disadvantaged situation that people uh, live in in poverty and what poverty can do to the mind and what poverty can do to the environment and how it shapes the environment. So there's always a struggle, right? And through yes. that struggle, I've learned to appreciate certain things in life, but also 
to to speak out about it because life is tough and life is hard. But there's light, I believe, at the end of the tunnel, there's light and your past doesn't have to shape you or define who you are going forward. You can learn from the mistakes, you can learn from the disadvantages, but you don't have to take that through your whole life and have that have that dictate everything that you do. And, you know, talking about police brutality, I mean, there's just some, there is a need for reform and the way we think about policing in the United States, especially. And I mean, throughout the world, I mean, the, the, the concept of what a policeman does or what a police, what police are supposed to do. I think we've steered from that. We've veered from that tra- uh, drastically. And there's need for, you know, there's need for law enforcement, obviously, because we don't want to have a society of madness. But, you know, that thinking that and being so extreme in the way we talk, like, oh, my God, there are no cops or there's no police. Then the people are just going to run amok, killing everybody and raping everyone. Like, that's just kind of crazy to even to, to think and to bring into the conversation. And so sure. you know, talking about police brutality and, and you know, the police brutality and, and, and the need for police reform from the days of Ice-T and, you know, songs like Cop Killer, NWA, Fuck the Police and all that. You know, I think things have things haven't changed much, but there's a def- there's definitely there's obviously more eyes and people are a lot more aware now. And before this, you know, unfettered sort of belief in what is right and what is true and and what is the american way is obey the police obey the law you know those 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 laws and that and that way of thinking uh, are kind of antiquated because there's a very thin line the the line between what's right and what's wrong is very blurry in our society so i choose to speak out about this because i think people need to understand that we can have these conversations without wanting to rip each other's throats out. And I tried to be the, uh, I tried to be so, sort of a medium for peace and so, sort of a medium for understanding because without those, there's no conversation that can be had because it's just going to be continuing to be more of the same, which we've seen from the days of cop killer in the eighties and the seventies up until now in, in the, uh, the, the latter arts. You know, it's been um, it's been a rough road for a lot of people. And again, I touch back on poverty. Poverty shapes the mind in a different way to say someone who's had a easier ride as terms in terms of a socioeconomic uh, viewpoint. You know, people have it very different. I'm not saying that people's lives are easier. I'm just saying it's different. And we have to understand we have to understand that. And that encompasses, that fully encompasses things like police reform and police brutality. But also on the other side of the message is a message of self-awareness and self-determination and understanding that I can overcome these disadvantages, whether it be uh, the socioeconomic uh, inequality that exists, whether it be uh, the, the health, someone's health might be challenging them but it's all about looking deep inside yourself and and coming up with an with a plan to overcome adversity and, and believing that you can overcome adversity so a lot of the music is about uh, being an underdog and being written off and 
being, uh, you know, being again, self-determined and telling yourself that I can be better than the way I was yesterday. And I believe that if you fully believe that and embrace that, then you can start to spread that throughout your community because a better community ultimately makes a better country and then ultimately makes a better world. So, but it starts with you and that self-determination. So everything else is just encompassed in the world around me. And I've been lucky enough to see quite a bit of the world and to see different shades of this world and different, you know, abject poverty versus gratuitous wealth. I've been able to see a lot of that and be exposed to it. And, and it's given me the story that um, I feel I need to share and the story that I tell in the music. Man, you have such an incredible story. And I like resonated with so much of it because uh, I was, you know, when we talk about police brutality, uh, you know, we as a nonprofit organization, we're, we're in the reform game, right? So right. we understand the police's role in marijuana prohibition and how they've used that as a tactic for a hundred years uh, to target you know, African-Americans, uh, Hispanics, uh, immigrants, people who are poor and in poverty. Uh, and we've seen that really just over a decade after decade, really get roped into a uh, complex of budgets and numbers. And, and that's not a conspiracy, you know, that's not a conspiracy. Everyone deals in conspiracies these days and conjecture and opinions. And that is far from it like that's exactly. the actual truth that's our reality every day we live with the reality that i can probably get my head cracked open by a cop today because of the way i look and so when people you know come up with this whole idea of oh my god you know when the world is shaken, their world is shaken and i say they meaning that those that are about this whole law and order sort of thing now which is seems to be the the mantra which is again that's nothing new you know what i'm saying it's, it's just repackaged and rebranded you know they they go how could you why don't you just follow the laws or follow the rules well even when i follow the rules the rules it's don't work simple. you know and it it's just ain't that simple it just black, isn't though, that think. black and white exactly <laughs> it's not right. that black and white and, and we don't we don't we haven't been afforded that opportunity to see it as such because the 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 communities of of color and and lower income communities and inner city communities here in the United States have been targeted because capitalism breeds a, a, a special kind of evil, which that evil is that evil is ignored when it comes to making money, right? So you have an industry that needs to make money. Where are they going to find that profit? Where are they going to find that supply? Supply and demand. Isn't that the way it works? And then when you make the incarceration and the imprisonment of people a business, you just don't give a shit anymore. And all bets are off. So you use anything right. and everything to suppress and to subjugate and to ultimately incarcerate as many of those people as possible. And it, it's a shame. We're going to go into our first break here at the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This is episode 19. We're joined by guest. AJ Channer of Fire from the Gods. We will be right back. Whoop, whoop. You are drunk. I don't know, Mom. I'm not drunk. I'm okay. I'm just thinking, you know. Why don't you give me a taxi? No, no. You are drunk. I go, Mom, I'm okay. I'm just thinking. She goes, No. You're not thinking. You are drunk. No, no, people don't act that way. I go, Mom, just give me a taxi, please. 
and Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flower pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta 8, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. You know it would be cool if your business was mentioned on a podcast several times an episode. Well, you could have a slot right here on the Lone Star Collective just like the one I'm doing right now. Show your community that your business supports changes to social welfare regarding cannabis in Texas. Inform our audience that you are a supporter of independent journalism and the activism work we put in while informing them about your business. Let your customers know where you are located and what you offer the community. For more information on getting your business mentioned on Lone Star Collective, visit TexasCanaco.com. That's TXCanaCo.com and click the contact tab. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. Hello me, meet the real me. My misfits wave life. A dark black past is my most valued possession. Hindsight is always 2020. But looking back, it's still a bit fuzzy. Speak of mutually assured destruction. Nice story. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, joined by co-host Austin Zamorhiri. This week, our guest is AJ Channer. He is the vocalist of Fire from the Gods. Welcome back, AJ. We are back. I'm glad to be here. Hey, AJ, real quick. I just wanted to let you know, uh, because uh, your message, everything you just said in the last segment really resonates with somebody like me, somebody who is uh, a person of color. Uh, my, 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 my father is an immigrant. Um, I was at the George Floyd protests uh, May 31st of 2020. Me and my wife showed up in downtown Dallas um, and I was shot and gassed by Dallas police simply for standing, literally standing in a group of, of civilians who wanted an answers for police brutality. And we were only met with brutality. And when I tell you we were gassed, I'm talking pepper spray. Like they shot out the canisters. It was like these guys had tanks and, oh, yeah. and, that, that, and like they were ready ridiculous. for war. Of course. It, it's ridiculous. And like you said, it's, they've termed it as a war and they, they created this idea that you have to fight a war and that these police are armed for war. But I thought we weren't supposed to have, we weren't supposed to turn weapons uh, that we use in war on our own, on, on our own people. You know, I, I thought that one of the things is we're never supposed to, we're not supposed to deploy the military in the continental United States or anywhere where people fall under the protection of the constitution. But when the idea 
you know, it, when it comes to a very narcissistic sort of government and a very narcissistic uh, sort of ideology and mentality and how we've been governed for the last few hundred years or so, the people's humanity goes right out the window. And your right to, to certain unalienable rights and humanity doesn't matter. And this whole idea of involving the political aspect of it all, when people are just saying, why? When the people are just asking, why? But again, the problem is, you're, we're not people to them. We're just a number. We're just another enemy. We're just another enemy of what's right and what's Christian and what's good and what, what is pure and what is American. But which at, at this, this juncture and at this time, 2021, 2022, and 2020, when all this stuff started kicking off, we have to rethink what we think is American because what, the, what, what is in the minds of people in the, the days that, of yore of which existed, that doesn't exist anymore. We are a multicultural society with a lot of different needs and wants. And I say this all the time, the needs and wants of our communities might be different, but we do all want the same thing, which is safety, which is life, liberty, and the yep. pursuit of happiness. We all want the same thing. So, you know, when the people rise up and say why and do it in a nonviolent fashion and are met with even more brutality, that should be a statement to the rest of the world or to those watching, sitting at home on the armchairs or talking their shit on the Internet. That should be a wake up call and say, this is not right. You can't. You, you, it's so crazy that an act of uh, excessive force and brutality that happened in one part of the country that sparks this universal or national question of why and what can we do about it when the answer is more brutality you got to think now what are we doing it's insane the mental gymnastics that people will do to justify it and you talked oh, about yeah. like, like gearing yourself up for war and they go well the, the gangs have these RPGs and these these giant machine guns. The cops need them, too. And it's like, OK, if you're talking about them fending themselves from RPGs and machine guns, that would make sense. Why do they yeah, need that? Too, why, like do, crazy. why do that, they that, need that this? Crazy I don't have that in my house. Yeah. I mean, a machine gun. Yeah, I live in Texas, so I can own a, a, an automatic weapon. But I don't have I'm not I'm not. You know, the Second Amendment doesn't fall under. Well, I need a I need an RPG to shoot the cops down or I'm going to uh, or I'm going to. Uh, you know, like it, it's it's like you said, it's insane. And we talk about the numbers and w the 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 actual statistics of when have when has the SWAT team actually had to go into um how many times does the SWAT team have to go into armed combat in a in a neighborhood? I, I'm 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 smiling and grinning because not six houses down from me in Austin, Texas, a SWAT team like tagged my neighbor. And it started, it simply started, the stupidest thing was over him not mowing his lawn and they had a warrant to mow his lawn. And the guy came out shooting and it was like, even with him coming out shooting, it's like the amount of equipment they brought out that day was insane rivaling that this guy, yeah, for war. For war. It's like this for guy, war. this guy, exactly. best, this guy best has a rifle and a couple of handguns. What I learned, what I learned on that day as a civilian walking into a shit storm, which was pretty much a war zone, trust me. I've been all over the world. I've been to the Middle East. I've been to South America. So I've seen what third world countries and war-torn countries look like. Yeah. What I saw in downtown Dallas, which is supposed to be the United States of America, 
looked like a war zone. We're talking multiple police units on every block in downtown. We're talking tanks, tanks and Humvees with fucking machine guns and troops. Readiness, with- readiness and preparedness is, is essential in a world where a threat exists of there's a guy that, that's a guy who's got a couple rifles who might come out shooting at the cops. Okay, that exists. But this whole existential threat of it's us versus them, or there is someone who's out there who wants to kill and go to war with the police is just is simply wrong. It's just bullshit. Well, they, they act like it's it's like literally Hollywood level villains. They think they they think are, are, are what's showing up in these oh, existences oh, yeah. because uh, everyone gets that and, and because everyone gets their knowledge and their and their thought process from movies because movies are as great as they are and as awesome as they are. And I love a good shoot 'em up film. You know, what I mean, I, I was, I'm a kid of the '90s. You know, I'm I, I'm a Rambo, Terminator, Hell you know, yeah. Stallone, Schwarzenegger kind of guy. But we cannot take that exactly, you know. But we can't take that into our reality, and we can't use that sort of reality that's been created by uh, by the media and by Hollywood, and think that applies to real life. But again, if you take a reality show host and you you put him in the highest seat in the land, I guess it is a little bit bizarre world, you know. But you know, and 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 I don't want to get too much into that guy. But the the thing is. You know, Thank I you for not naming him, by the way. <laughs> yeah. We, we fucking Voldemort over it. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's just, I, I, I mean, I've had, I'm up to my, my brim with conversations about MAGAism and, and all that other nonsense. But when it comes down to it, we the people are where it matters. And I could give a shit about what's happening in the highest office in the land because we know DC sucks and we know DC has got all of its problems. And London the same guy. is the same thing with Parliament. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with the highest um, office, office, uh, offices across the world. There's a lot of rubbish and bullshit that uh, we have to deal with and that we deal with from the, from the political standpoint. But when it comes to we the people, it, it, it does afford us and it does us a service to be united and to find those that commonality between each and every one of us. There's no different from the hood and the trailer park. There really is no difference. But we're sitting here at each other's throats because we think that we we think that there's something that separates us. And what separates us is a fictional borderline that we've created and that's been created. One side says you know, immigrants are here to steal and take all our jobs. The other side says we're gun to- they're gun-toting rednecks who just want to kill anything of color or they're just hateful people. And it's just simply not true. There's, there's a faction that exists that wants to stoke and pour accelerant on those flames because it benefits them. But on a whole, I think we are a good people and we are a, a, a loving people. We just need to learn how to love each other. And what uh, a, a term you used, the trailer park. I grew up in trailer park. I grew up in a trailer, then moved to a different city to live in a trailer park, went to the military. And when I came back and had to live in the trailer park, coming back out of the military is what made it click for me because I'd watched all these things happen around me as a kid. And I didn't have that right. world experience to say, or even national experience to go, this is messed up in this format. But, yeah, I had, but, I had, sure. but I had the cops knock on my door one day. They say, hey, um, 
you're under suspicion of smoking marijuana. And I was like, what the hell, hell are you, what the hell yeah. are you talking about? They said, well, somebody said that they drove by and they saw you on your porch smoking and that they smelled marijuana. Mind you, it was like 40 degrees outside. I hadn't smoked cigarette, even cigarettes in like two weeks because I was that broke. And I was like, right. yes, somebody drove by in 40 degree weather with the windows down and could smell marijuana yeah, smoke. I mean, it's, like, it's are awesome. you serious? <laughs> and it literally turned into this thing where they kind of admit at the end. They're like, we expected to pull up on this house and it'd be a young black man. And it was like, what the hell? Yeah, wow. that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. I, that, and, you know, I tell people a lot too, like, I don't know. I can't speak for the, I can't speak for police and I, and I won't because I just don't see it from their point of view a lot. But I will say this, I, of the police that I know, and I've been, have had, you know, police officers in the family and friends, I don't know how many cops wake up and say, oh, I'm going to go out there and shoot somebody. I don't say, I don't, I've, I've got know? cops in my family on my wife's side, and I don't know any of them and, that wake up but, saying that or thinking I mean, that. But the mentality and always being taught that you're under threat, when you come into that situation instinct takes over and what you've been taught takes over and Condi what you've been conditioned to think what you've been conditioned to think and it's a mentality that's come from the top and you know i say the police are watchdogs for the rich right because essentially police are us they come from our sort of uh economic yes. uh you know point in the pyramid or our caste, or whatever you want to call it, our class. And then they, in turn, are taught the doctrine of someone that they don't police. They are taught to take that doctrine and, that, and, and those theories and then apply it to the same people that they went to school with, the same people. Or, or if they are policing a, a neighborhood like what I experienced when I went to Minneapolis after the, um, the riots. I mean, the riots happened on Thursday. I was in Minneapolis on, on Monday. And you know what happens all across America are there are these inner city communities policed by, by people who don't come from these communities. And there is a problem about community policing in that regard. We, we understand that. There's a, there's a, a, there can be corruption. But you cannot have a police force of 90% uh, of something that come from outside of where they're policing. It just doesn't work. And then you take in this whole militarized doctrine and it looks like that. And everything, every situation you get into is going to be an us versus them situation. When I went there, that precinct that they burned, the uh, second precinct, I believe, it did not look like this haven of safety or security. It looked like the fort of an occupying force. It stood out and looked like this bastion of imperialism so to speak you know it looked like a foreign a foreign building a foreign building in a place that it did not belong and come to find out that two schools had been shut down and uh merged in order to build that place for whatever need that they needed it or for whatever need uh was expressed for having this place there but you can tell by the anger and the fury and the way that this, this place was burned down that it wasn't like, oh, we're just going to go take down this, this police station. It was the rage, fury. It was, it was pain that was being exacted for this very thing that you said. 
that this police officer said, well, we expected there to be a young black man in this house. And people feel that. And it's hard to walk around with that weight on your shoulders every day because my reality is this cop might shoot me. And their reality is this guy might be on. And that's just wrong. It's, it, it, it is no way in any fashion that that should be a part of society today. And so when the people say why, and you're met with more brutality, it should be, it should make sense to the greater whole in this nation that something has to change. Amen to that. That amen to that. Well, we're going to go into our second break here at the Lone Star Collective. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. Our, my co-host, Austin Zamhereri. When we come back, we're going to do a little Wikipedia investigation, as I like to call it. We're going to find out the truth, we'll set the record straight. We'll be right back after this second break here at Lone Star Collective. Episode 19, our guest, AJ Channer. Yes. Oakleaf Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oakleaf focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flower pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta 8, and merch. For more information on their products quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. You know it would be cool if your business was mentioned on a podcast several times an episode. Well, you could have a slot right here on the Lone Star Collective just like the one I'm doing right now. Show your community that your business supports changes to social welfare regarding cannabis in Texas. Inform our audience that you are a supporter of independent journalism and the activism work we put in while informing them about your business. Let your customers know where you are located and what you offer the community. For more information on getting your business mentioned on Lone Star Collective, visit TexasCanaco.com. That's TXCanaCo.com and click the contact tab. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This is episode 19. Austin Samhuri is my co-host this episode. What's up? Our guest, AJ Channer, Fire from the Gods. Welcome back, AJ. Yeah. Loving that taproot, man. Fuck yeah. Really quick, 
I thought we were going to talk about weed and music tonight. I didn't know we were going to get so much deeper. And wow, we got we got real deep. Yeah, man. That's uh, <laughs> I love it, yeah, it. yeah, yeah, man. You got you got to. It's important. I know people are bored of hearing that kind of shit, but you you just got to continue to press the issue. I've said that in this uh, the intro to this video for the song uh, "Break the Cycle," but I actually did. Um, that video was from the target in front of the target that was uh that was looted and burned and and graffitied up in uh Minneapolis on that street where um George Floyd was was killed. I watched I was up there live and watched his brother give testimony and to the crowd and all that stuff. And you know, there was it was a very emotional time. And I think tensions are still kind of high, but people have kind of I think there's a little cooling, but I know that we've got to continue to press the issue because like I say in the video, and I don't want to sound cliche by saying this, even though it does, uh, if one of us isn't free, none of us are free. Amen. <laughs> Everybody, I can tell people liberty and justice is not for a few. We say it's for all. Let's actually make it for all. Exactly. For all, yes. Exactly. But yeah, man, let's get into this Wikipedia shit, dog. Talk it up. So the, the big thing that I thought was interesting, because I'm a corn fan and y'all just went on tour with corn, is that Fuck apparently yeah. off of the narrative, y'all had a re-release and Jonathan Davis, the singer, had produced two of the tracks on there. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. Uh we went to we went to Bakersfield to where uh Korn had originally wrote and recorded, I guess almost actually they everything, uh according to JD. We spent a week with him and the song Voiceless and the song The Taste, which came out on the re-release, we uh, produced with him. He um, he was there for, which was wild, is that the guy spent like every day with us and other bands have gone, subsequently gone to him and they've had completely different experiences with, um, with uh, uh, JD, but you know, he loved us and, and we loved the dude. And when we just finished this tour, man, he was just, unfortunately, because of the COVID thing, he had COVID for, for most of the tour. We didn't get to kick it. But when we did, man, he was just ecstatic to see us. He's like, I love you guys. I haven't seen you in so long. He texted me after and was like, bro, let's do some writing again. So we had a great experience, man. So nice. very big, big facts very on nice. the on the recording and hanging out with JD for a week, man. It was, it was, very, it was the experience, man. I used the mic that he's used it. He, he, uh, he gave me these vocal tips and warm-ups. I had a bunch of my stuff that I've done with a ton of different, uh, vocal coaches, but he gave me like his specifically. And I've, I've, I've used them ever since I've never, I've never used anything else because it's just really so thorough and it worked for a rock singer's voice, especially one like mine. So big up, big, big, big ups, big, big facts on the JD thing and big up to, to core, man. I love those dudes. So another thing I've read about, and I don't think I've ever heard about this with a band before, but it states that y'all had, when you came on as the vocalist, there was technically a stand-in vocalist. And I guess yes. the way it reads, y'all were switching back and forth for shows. How, how was that working? No, we, we, we did this. Uh, we did the dual vocalist thing for a minute, like, um, like a Linkin Park sort of thing or a Mushroom Head or uh, a really band that, that was popular at the time that's still very popular was a band called Volumes. And they had two vocalists. So we, we were thinking that that's what we were going to be doing. And we did it for a while, but we were playing a lot of the old music and I was still getting very accustomed to 
singing the stuff that was on that EP that they came out called Politically Incorrect. Uh, and because those songs were so vocal heavy, even the guy that originally recorded it wasn't able to perform those songs live. So it was always thought that, oh, this band could possibly use two vocalists because there was someone that was standing in, a really good friend of mine, who's, we've, become, we've become really good friends now, uh, Chris Mardis. But once, I, um, once we started touring, getting a lot more comfortable, and I started getting a lot more comfortable performing the songs, and I hadn't been in a touring band for, for a while, so it hadn't, you know, the amount of vocal load and the amount of work that I had to do, I hadn't done in a long time. But once I started becoming super co- uh, comfortable and getting to know the songs and stuff, then I just kind of just took over. And then we went to the studio, and uh, we went to the studio with a, with a very popular producer whose name goes by the name of David Bendis, who's done quite a bit in the rock world. I mean, he did Bring Me the Rhymes' his biggest record. He did uh, Breaking Benjamin's biggest record. He's worked with Papa Roach, Kill Switch Engage. Uh, day oh, to remember wow he did uh oh, just a couple he, of bands <laughs> yeah right uh <laughs> he, produced, he produced paramore's riot which which has gone double platinum i believe wow you know uh the room that i wrote a lot of narrative in vocally a lot of the stuff we wrote that room was whitney houston's like warm-up room for ages and the board that we recorded that record on was the board uh the fsl board that was uh and I think Dre used it and Marshall Mathers LP was, was, was uh, recorded on that board. So, what? you know, there was a lot of, so yeah, we went into the studio with this guy and David Bendis. And, uh, I mean, the guy's resume goes even deeper. I could get into it and, and he'll, he'll tell you about it. Trust me. He'll tell you. Right. So he's I that kind of guy. I don't know if I can handle <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's that kind of dude, man. And uh, I just actually saw him recently at Welcome to Rockville in Jacksonville that we did. That was uh, the, we played the day that Metallica headlined and he was there. He had really, uh, he never really comes out because he's based in Jersey, but this is in Florida, but I believe he's working with this new band. And he saw me and he was like, oh my God, he's like, look at you. He's like, I turned you into a rock star. He's like, you look like a rock star now, you know, and all this stuff. He's such an egomaniac. But um, his name's David Bendis. But people called him David Bandeth because he was so such a stickler and so, such a such a narcissist in many ways. But he really would put you through the ringer. You know, he was kind of like "There's no crying in my dojo" type type, oh, wow. type of deal with David Bandeth. You know, and he one day he's just like, "What?" You know, we went out there. I was going to write all the songs, and we were going to have to bring the other singer in to do his parts, which were like screaming parts, you know? And I would do most of the cleans and most of the rapping type stuff. And uh, he was like, what the hell is this guy going to come out here and do? What do you really need this guy in your band for? Why do you have two vocalists? He's like, you can do everything here. Just do it. And then we separated. But Chris, you know, we remained friends and it was uneasy at first, but, you know, we've all been bigger men about it. And it's tremendously benefited the band. It's benefited us in ways that I, you know, look where we are now. So, um, you know, yeah, man, we had two vocalists and we were going to go with that for a minute. And we thought that was going to be the, the lineup, but it turned out it, it wasn't, but we had a really cool time though. We went on some great tours and done a lot of crazy shit. And Chris used to do backflips and that was his thing. And uh, 
he would get on the riser and do a backflip and people loved it and it was wild but <laughs> it just wasn't the true identity of the band and i think we we are where we are now because of you know but everyone had something to do with bringing fire you know i was like maybe i think the fourth or fifth vocalist that band's ever had but the longest so he's he's a he was a good hype man and there's nothing wrong with being a yeah. good hype man yeah 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 exactly exactly a hype man can be everything yeah um something i did notice it wasn't on wikipedia and usually i see these types of details on wikipedia one you mentioned earlier y'all are going to start recording in january the other is um y'all are going i guess on tour a european tour and that starts with what i consider like the biggest of european venues to play and that's rock m park rock m rock m park rock m ring and y'all going to be in rock m park yeah 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 i will choose rock m ring because i think rock m ring is bigger but Rock and Park is just as big as well. It's just it's just as cool. Oh, they're they're major vets. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I've been. Those are one of those that you watch, you know, videos for on YouTube, and you see some of your favorite bands playing before I was in Fire, and and you hear about these festivals, and you're like, God, Europe just sounds like a dream to play in. And you know, we went on our first European tour uh, in um, twenty. Excuse me, twenty twenty January twenty. January, February of 2020, we went on our first European tour uh, with that band, The Who, the Mongolian throat singing band. Uh, all sold out shows, incredible. And I had, you know, I've been to Europe and, you know, lived in the UK and, and have family in, in the UK and friends all over Europe. And so I've visited and, and partied in Amsterdam and partied in Rotterdam and partied in Paris. But going over there as a band on tour was an incredibly different experience, but what an experience. And it just gives you an appreciation for what you do because, you know, I love rock and metal fans and there's nothing that beats going and playing shows in Florida or California and here in the States and playing for people that, you know, your people, but the way Europeans really respond to rock and metal man is different. And so those festivals, you see sure. them and you're like, God, sure. they're so sick. Hellfest in, in France, you know, uh, the uh, download in the UK and then there's download Paris now, I believe, you know, it, it's such a different vibe. And uh, American festivals get maybe 60 to 80,000 max, if that. I mean, 60,000 when we played Rock on the Range in Columbus, I think that was the most ever. Or even uh, Carolina Rebellion one year had close to 60,000. But these are. Festivals in Europe, we're talking about in the hundreds of thousands. Oh yeah, Rock Rock and Ring. Like I said, Rock (laughs) and Ring is like the festival for Europe. It is just who's who of rock is playing each year there, and they pack pack a hundred thousand people in easily, easily. And that's just on a good. That's like yeah. Oh, we're expecting hundred thousand people. It's like fuck off, man. You know, but (laughs) yeah. So I'm I'm stoked, man. And COVID has shot that in the foot a few times, and so I'm like, yo. Don't do it to me this year because I'm going to play this festival. So don't screw me. So something I've seen recently, I, I thought this would be a great question for you, is there's bands that, that y'all have recorded a song. Um, perhaps perhaps fans consider it one that they like, but the band overall or somebody in the band absolutely despises playing the song live. <laughs> And I want to know if there's a song they are like, yeah, it's a great song, but man, we just uh, we that's not a, playing that song. <laughs> we, we don't want to get uh, on stage and play that for people. You know, it, a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think um, I think 
we're, we're lucky enough to be in a situation where we had a song that did well and no one expected it to do as well as it did. So, but now it's like, because we did so well and that's now a bar that's been set for us, we kind of have a little bit of resentment with it and the song right now. You know, it's like, it's our biggest song and there's a little bit of resentment there. I love the song and every time we, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, here's right now again. But <laughs> you play it and then you see the reaction from the fans and then it's like, God, then, you, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, that's a special song, man. You know? <laughs> yeah. but, um, like it's a very special song and it's a, and it's a good song. Uh, but damn, we, uh, we used to play a lot of stuff of narrative and it kind of sounds like to us, it's like, oh man, it's so generic. Like the song Pretenders, we used to play that because when we first wrote it and, and play and learned, you know, that was like our heaviest song and people loved it. And we were just like, yeah, man, we get brutal on this song. But now when we hear the song, we're like, ew, we were so corny, man. We're like, God, God, we were so corny. But it's, uh, it's fun to think back on those days. And I'm glad that we have those problems now. So, yeah, I think Pretenders is the one. Really. Yeah, exactly. Because we have like a catalog now, you know, before we didn't. We had one, we had one record. Uh, anything that we did before those one records are kind of like null and void because they were just different lineups and different times and the bands existed and changed so many times since like 07 when, it was, when the first lineup was ever put together. But, um, you know, now we, we're like, yeah, we have a catalog so we can pick and choose what we want to play. And, and that's a good feeling. So you're always playing songs you really like to play. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now we play songs that we really like to play. But if there's any comfort, like I would, I put Fire from the Gods in my Spotify a couple of weeks ago. I was like, let me start listening to what people, other listeners are listening to, get a feel for them. Because right. I've seen a couple of y'all's music videos. And I was like, you know, I really need to listen to this. And first off, I, it's one of the few things I can listen to where I can listen to song after song after song and not want to leave right. listening to the artist. But right now, compared to American Sun, I love American Sun. Like, that's my banger. That's my jam. Oh, nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that song, too. Yeah, yeah, good, man. You know, it's so weird because in the scheme of business, you know, that was the, we wanted that song to be the follow-up to right now. And it was going to be kind of like, you know, if people can like a song like American Sun, then that will endear us to a whole group of rock fans and people because that song's so out of the norm for what's for what's popular right now as far as rock music is concerned. If you listen to Sirius XM, which is a major medium for rock music and and tastemakers oh, yes. and what's on the playlist and stuff like that, you American Sun is very different. But if people could like that song and got a wind of it and and really if they got the sort of uh, coverage that right now got, then I think that would kind of like solidify us for a, a generation because people that that would say, I like this band and people will start clicking and following the band because they know like that sound is so different. And if they could love that sound, then that means we're really doing something right. So I, I aim to double down on shit like that for this next record, but want to do it in a way that's fresh and unique. So we can have that response like you had to, to um, you know, here right now, which is the biggest song of the bands and then say, oh, well, I like American Sun. Like that's that, uh, that makes me feel very good, man. That's a, that's a huge compliment. It's just to me, it has it has a groove. It reminds me of like 
it's it's got its rap element but there's this groove like this 90s groove metal feel that i get out of it and i'm just like oh i love yeah. this it's pantera without the awfulness of phil anselmo <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 that's cool man thank you <laughs> well yeah, do, cool. you, do you have anything you want to plug anything you want to add before we wrap this up yeah um you know i started a little pod myself some time ago called the unnarrative it's still kind of getting legs you know the the whole having another kid and going back into the studio kind of put a, a little dent on it but it's got some really cool um episodes out there called the unnarrative i've had uh, a bunch of really cool um guests on them i still have stuff from season one that i'm going to put up and you know anyway you can find me anywhere on, on the inter- interwebs i called the fbi facebook and instagram you know fire <laughs> from the gods out there download the music check the record out you know really show some love feel that fbi <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Facebook and Instagram, baby, the FBI. You know what's up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Stay woke. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I'm out there. I'm, I'm out in the world, and and I'm I'm easy to reach. I'm accessible, and 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 I'm always looking to talk to new artists. Always looking to talk to new to journalists because I think I think my message is important. I don't think it's very different from what people have heard, but at the same time, I think it's time. It like I said, you have to keep pushing the issues. So anywhere I can conduit and i can push this message and, and thankfully i'm able to do it through rock music because i love rock music i love heavy music so you know check us out man fire from the gods aj china i'm out there aj fftg on insta uh and fire from the gods that's basically me on twitter so you know when you're out there for twitter the wild wild west <laughs> that's, your, that's your boy call at me awesome you know we met uh in person last week at the Taste of Texas Cannabis Cup. Yeah. And you were a uh, master of ceremonies and you did a fantastic job. Like, bang you, up. For a bang up yes. event, we were media sponsors. And as a nonprofit organization, we appreciate your time for just coming to talk to us and, and talking some candid truth that I'll be honest, I like really wasn't ready to get into. But man, you started talking it and I was ready. I was yeah, I brother. Was, you know, you know, you know the, the truth, man. Forgiving, it was amazing, and thank you so much for the truth that of you're course. spreading. Thank and you. For, and you, you're not just there as a message; you're there in person too. Like you, you manifest all of this uh, and vocally, and you back it up by being there in person. So I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Wicked awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah, I wanted to add, uh, yeah, I met you at the ATX Hemp and Wellness event. Hemp and Wellness event. It's the first time I met you. And then I yeah. got to meet you again at the Canarock event. And I'll plug that for everybody that you and your wife, Britton, y'all host Canarock yearly, correct? Yes. Yes. Yearly, yearly. Jesus. She told me, too. she's like, wait, can you about Canarock? <laughs> and I, yeah, man, Canarock, it, it's, it's a lot of her baby, but, you know, I've been trying to steer a lot of it more into the music side. And because, you know, we have the, text, the Taste of Texas Hemp Club, you have the ATX Wellness event. So I think there are a lot of uh, events that talk about the awareness. But I really think, you know, let's, you know, the merging of music and rock and the music and the cannabis industry and the just all the all the cool things that we could achieve together with with guys like yourselves. It's there's a community out there, as I've said, and I think you know we just want to be a different, a different part of that community with Canarock, where it's, we take it from the the business to business sort of thing, and we engage the community a lot more, engage the people out there who believe in what we believe, and the people out there that need 
to hear what we have to say. And I think that's where we find our little niche with Counter Rock. But we're out there, man. And we'll probably uh, we'll be we'll have something around um, South by Southwest. Uh, I'll, I'll most likely awesome. be on tour, but you know the missus will be around doing the thing. We thank you for your time here at the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your big host. Up, up, thank you. Much love. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This was episode 19. Joined by co-host Austin Zam Hariri. Our guest was AJ Channer from Fire from the Gods. He said they're going to be in the studio recording this January. So obviously albums coming out in the next year. Hope y'all can take a look at that. Find them on Spotify, any of the other music streaming services, Fire from the Gods. You can find Jesse and Austin at the TexasCanico.com, TXCanico.com. And we hope everybody has a wonderful holiday break. Happy Christmas. Talk to you guys later, man. Be good. Adios.